you. Go ahead and stand up. God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. He keeps giving and giving and giving. Here you go.
Good morning, Cap City fam. I am Erin Ashcraft, the new children's minister here at Capital City Christian Church, and I get the great pleasure of welcoming you all this morning. And we are getting into that wonderful time of year where the days are getting longer and our afternoons are getting a little warmer. And with spring just around the corner, we need lights and candy. We need lots and lots of candy. That's what we're here to talk about today. So we have the um, our community outreach event, Extravaganza, is coming up on Saturday, April 1st, and we need lots and lots of candy that can be stuffed into those small eggs. Um, this is always such a fun event. We'll have face painting, inflatables, egg hunts, of course. We'll need all of those eggs stuffed and help setting up. So lots of opportunities to serve and help bless families here in our community. Um, you can get your kiddos registered for their egg hunts, and you can also sign up to help out during the event on the Church Center app. And speaking of this app, if you don't have it yet, I would really recommend that you get it downloaded. It is available on the Apple Store or on Google Play, and there's just a couple of steps once you get that Church Center app downloaded to get connected to Capital City Christian Church here in Frankfurt. You're going to want to look for that KID 24-7 logo, and once you're connected, you can register for events, you can manage your online giving, you can get connected to groups, lots of different things you can do in that app. And so we talk about Cap City Fam here a lot, and we really mean that. I've got my little Cap City Fam bracelet on. And so this is kind of like the family address book or the family calendar. This is a great way for us to all stay connected. So again, would really recommend that you get that app. And speaking of family, this one is growing. So um, as you come in on Sunday mornings, try and sit close and move in towards the middle of the rows. Say hi to one another. You know, let's not be shy. We're all God's kids. And this is like our weekly family reunion. So um, say, let's make sure that we warm, warmly greet one another. And uh, so now I'm just going to pray as we go ahead and get our worship um, continuing on this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this family and for all of the folks in this room. And help us as we go through today that we can just receive all that you have to give us and go out into the world and be, your, be the light that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's pray together. Father, it's an honor to be called into your presence together here. So we pray now that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will be acceptable to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glad you're here, guys. We are in the kind of a series that we're calling Skill Set. And basically, it's all about what we do because we're Jesus followers. We do a lot of things that are a little bit different because we're Jesus followers. We worship once a week. We gather together to worship our God, give Him the honor and the praise that He deserves. We, we pray every day. We do life with God. We read our scriptures. We connect with each other as Jesus followers. And today I'm going to deal with one of the things that we do because we're Jesus followers that a lot of folks don't like much. We give back. We give back. Bottom line, guys, following Jesus will make you look weird. If you actually try to do life with God, for God, God's way, you're going to do life differently than the rest of your family, your friends, your colleagues who are not Jesus followers. You're going to look weird. And we're okay with that. We believe that we are the ultimate counterculture. That's what the church is. And maybe one of the ways that we look weirdest will be the ways that we view and handle our money. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, you're probably going to disagree rather profoundly with what I'm going to teach this morning. It's okay. I think it'll work for you too. If you are a Jesus follower, what I'm going to teach this morning may make you kind of uncomfortable because sometimes even as Jesus followers, we listen to our culture more than we listen to our God, especially when it comes to our money. There it is. We're going to talk about money. That gets people's defenses up. So be it. Now, last week I told you that this is going to be part two of a three-part sermon, right? Part one was last week. This is part two, and we're going to wrap up this sermon next week because all of them are built around four foundational ideas, four big ideas. Number one, God owns it all. God owns it all. He owns our money, our stuff, our bodies, our dreams. God owns it all. You okay with that? He's God. Number two, God is lavishly generous, extraordinarily generous with every single one of us. If you think about it, it is all grace. Number three, God owns, we manage. Sometimes we use the word steward. It's about stewardship. God owns, we manage what he lets us use in a way that is God-honoring. And number four, and this may be counterintuitive for some, we think that if you live this stuff out, it's going to make your life better, way better. Because we believe that as long as you do life for you, your life is going to be little. When you do life for God, God's way, your life's going to be grand. You're going to begin to taste life as it was meant to be. Well, this morning I'm going to unpack these four ideas in the context of money. And if you've been around Cap City for a while, you know that I am not much of a preacher. I am a teacher. This morning I'm going to teach. In fact, I'm going to teach a boatload of stuff. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. But this series that we're in, Skill Set, stuff we do as Jesus followers, I've just got one week to talk about this view. So here goes. I want to start by showing you two verses that I think are worth serious pondering by us. These were written by the Apostle Paul. He's coaching a preacher like me on what to teach people like you about money. 
And guys, what he says here applies to about 99% of the people in this room. There may be a couple of exceptions. But you're probably not it. Apostle Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world, teach those who are rich in this world, that's us, not to be proud, which we are prone to be, not to trust in our money, which we are prone to do, which is so unreliable, which it is. Instead, our trust should be in God, no kidding, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, which he does. And tell us, guys, to use our money to do good. You like that part? They should be rich in good works, generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with those who need it, just like God does. It's all there. God owns it all. He is the one who gives us all that we need. God is lavishly generous. He's the one who richly gives us all that we need. God owns, we manage. He tells us, instructs us to do what is good with our money. And he does all this to make our life better. I mean, if you just do the research, it's not hard to find. I dug around a little bit last week, found this study. It pays to be generous. It says that high generosity people are 23% more likely to be satisfied with their lives overall happier in their relationships, their jobs, their possessions, and more. They said it turns out that having the highest savings account balance may not be the key to happiness. No kidding. And they go on in the article to give a boatload of data. In other words, God's way works, right? Anyway, kind of like what I did last week when we talked about our talents and our abilities and our gifts, this morning I'm just going to dig deeper into these four big ideas as it relates to our money. You ready? It's all his. It's all his. God owns it all. Every penny in your pocket, every dollar in your bank, your retirement, your stocks, whatever, it is his. Whether you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord or not. And we push back. I earned it, right? Some of you, I deserve it. Or it was given to me. But you belong to God, guys. Or we're like, but I do give God his part, right? I put his part in the offering box in the generous bucket and the rest is mine, right? Answer is no. Let me give you a few of the verses that kind of unpack this idea in the scripture. The Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything in it, which I think includes you, everything you think you own, everything I think I own, in reality, it's all God's. God says the silver's mine, gold is mine. He's reminding us every credit card, every debit card, your equity, your savings, your checking account, your stash, it's mine, God says. You buy that? Most of us don't really. We think it's ours. God thinks it's his. One of us is wrong. And some people are pushing back, but I worked hard for what I've got. I worked for this. I saved this. And here's what God answers. He says directly, you may say to yourself, my power, my strength have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Oh, yeah. We say, well, I studied in school. I worked hard on the job, put in long hours. I scraped and saved. I made smart investments. I earned it. 
God says, I made the earth, I made you, I gave you the brain in your head, there is nothing that you have, there is nothing that you can do that is not my gift. God says, how about some gratitude? See guys, God never transfers title. He never relinquishes the ownership of anything to you and me. He lets us use his stuff, he's extraordinarily generous, but it's still his. So when it comes to our money, the question is not how much of my stuff do I give to God? The question is, how much of God's stuff do I use for me? It's about ownership. God owns, we manage. God owns, we use. And we Jesus followers actually try to live that way because we're Jesus followers. And we have called Jesus Lord, right? Number two. God is lavishly generous, amazingly generous. The Apostle Paul tells us to trust in God who richly, who richly gives us everything that we need for our enjoyment. And the Apostle Paul was talking to people who couldn't even dream of what you enjoy and take for granted. Mark Driscoll is a pastor down in Atlanta now, and he puts it like this. He says, when the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, it was written to people who are mostly poor, poor in this world, and that's poor by their standards. Imagine what would happen if you could teleport one of those people into your home, and they start asking you a question. What's that? What's the refrigerator? What's it do? It keeps our leftovers cold and fresh until we throw them out. And their eyes bug out. Really? What are those? Those are cabinets. It's where we store our extra food. You've got extra food? Where'd you get that? Well, there's a store down the road with rows of food piled floor to ceiling. We go there, fill up a car with food, bring it home, and the store is open year-round 24-7. Their minds are blown by now. They say, what's that hanging on the wall? It's a TV. Try explaining that to a first century Christian. Then they see the bathroom. What's that room for? Well, that's where we eliminate our wastes, if you know what I mean. Are you serious in the house? Doesn't it smell? No, you just push that handle and fresh water carries it away. You use fresh water to dispose of your wastes? You get the idea. Compared to most of the people to whom Paul wrote these words, we are rich. You buy that? We live at a level of luxury their kings and queens couldn't have dreamed of. But you don't have to go back 2,000 years. Just go back 50 or 60 years ago, right here in America. Do you know that the average poor in America today have goods and services that they couldn't have dreamed of 50 years ago? 80% of our poor households have air conditioning. 1970, the number was 36% for all households. I found these stats from 2011, a dozen years ago. Typical household today at the poverty line has two color TVs, cattle, cable or a satellite feed, a DVD player, a microwave system for the kids, or a video game system for the kids, and a microwave. At that time, 38% had a computer. Today, it's about 60%. Because we live in the richest time of one of the richest nations on earth. 
Most of us only have to work a five-day work week. In other words, we have to work five days to acquire enough money for seven days of food, shelter, clothing, health care, entertainment, whatever else we need. In fact, there's a push going on right now for changing that to a four-day work week. A lot of families of three, four, or five will only send one person to the workforce, and that one person makes enough money in five days to cover what is needed by the whole family for that week. And most of us have about 50 hours of leisure at the end of the week. Do you understand? Do you understand how rich we are? It's not a bad thing, guys. We've got an amazingly generous God. He loves that. What if I change the wording a little? Do you understand how blessed you are? Maybe you don't feel rich, but do you feel blessed by God? Incredibly blessed by God? You should, guys. The problem is that we always want to compare ourselves to those who have more rather than asking what we actually need. With very, very, very few exceptions, God gives us more than enough to take care of ourselves and to be generous. And with that generosity, we can take care of those who are the exceptions, assuming that they too use their money in a God-honoring way. Listen, guys, God owns it all. God is lavishly generous. And if we could understand just those two big ideas, if we could own just those two big ideas, do you have any idea how that would adjust our attitudes towards life? It's all grace. Number three, with great gifts comes great responsibility. God owns, we manage. We manage God's stuff in a way that is God-honoring. God owns it all, so we manage it all in a God-honoring way. Now, I'm just going to focus for the next few minutes on the giving part. Not the part we used to take care of ourselves, but the part He expects us to give back. And I'm just going to go really rapidly about what we give, to whom we give, how we give, when, and how much. This is the part that's going to feel like meddling. So be it. There are things we do because we're Jesus followers. What do we give? We give our first part back to God. Our first part back to God. God gets the first part back. It's how we remind ourselves that He is first in everything, that He's our God. In fact, when a God follower doesn't give his first part back to God, in the Old Testament they call that robbery, embezzlement, stealing. The Bible says we actually rob God when we don't give our first part back. That ought to take your breath away, guys. When we treat our money like it's ours and that we can do whatever we want with what is ours. But it's God's. And he gets the first. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I'm battling a cold, which is why I'm trying to stay away from everybody. But have you ever thought about the audacity of some of our prayers? We ask God for help, for financial help. We ask God to bail us out when we get into a bind. We ask for his blessings for more than we need when we haven't even honored him with the part that he's already given to us. When we haven't even done what he told us to do with the money that he's already given us. If if you had some money to invest, would you give your money to a thief? 
would you entrust your money to a manager who would steal the first and best part for himself? That's what we ask God to do. We ask him to keep giving us more when we've been irresponsible with what he's already given to us. It's audacity. Here's Proverbs. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. We honor God with the first part back. In the Old Testament, they called it the first fruit. God says, bring the choice first produce, the first fruits of the house back to God. He gets the first part back because that reminds us where it all comes from. And here's the paradox. We think that if you do that, it makes your life better, not worse. You see, the financial priorities of a Jesus follower should look like this. God gives the first part back. That's part of doing life God's way. Then you save a little bit if you can so you can handle the unexpected and so you can be generous if God nudges you. Then we take care of the necessities, rent, utilities, food, car, medical, that kind of stuff. Then we pay down debt if we have it. And then we play. Eat out, tickets to a game, shoes I don't need, stuff like that, right? Most of us live the opposite, right? We tend to spend on our extras first, driving up our debt. Then we have barely enough to cover the necessities, and usually there are no leftovers for savings, and perhaps leftovers to God. Being a Jesus follower means putting our priorities straight. We give God the first part back. It's basic to doing life with God, for God, God's way. So we get the first part back. How? You don't just toss it in the air. I heard a joke one time. You know, you just throw your money in the air and God take what you want, I'll use the rest. It doesn't work that way. And I know this part's going to sound self-serving. Just saying this is going to turn some guys off, but primarily we give our first back, part back to our church family. And I know there are other ways of doing it as well. Julie and I have supported kids through World Vision for almost 50 years. And we've sent money to missionaries and other Christian causes and all that's God-honoring. But the starting point, I think, is the church. And the old covenant was the temple. Here's the prophet Malachi speaking for God. He says, bring your full tithe to the temple treasury. Will there be ample provisions in my temple? Well, the temple's not here anymore. For us, it's the church. You see, God expects us, Jesus followers, to do life together as a part of a family and we can do way more together than we could begin to do alone. And if you're part of a family, you're expected to contribute. Now, some of you guys that are here this morning, Cap City's not your home. Maybe you're just passing through or just checking us out, and that's cool. And if that's the case, that black offering box here is not for you. At least part of your first part ought to go to your church home. On the other hand, some of you do consider Cap City your home. <laughs> some of you guys consider home, but you don't like what we're doing much, so you don't want to support what we're doing, and you hold back. Ultimately, that's between you and God, but guys, being a part of a church family is about more than preference. It's about purpose. It's not about what I like. It's about getting the job done. So if you've chosen Capital City as your home, I think God expects you to pitch in. And there are others who kind of treat churches like kids treat their homes, treat their church like a hotel, right? 
blow through, leave a mess for others to clean up, drop a few bucks maybe in the box or the bucket, complain if things are not quite right and head back out. It was never God's intent. It's not God-honoring. If you research the stats, you're going to discover that about 25% of you, if we're normal, one in four, never contribute anything financially to your church home. If we're normal, about 5% of you, one in 20, contribute about 60% to take care of the rest. If we're normal, about 20% of this church family is responsible for about 80% of the money that is given. Did you know that if all of the members of a church family actually contributed a fair share, the church would never, ever, ever struggle financially? And we would tackle the mission that God has given to us with so much creativity. So, we Jesus followers give our first part back to God. And at least a part of that is directed to our church family. The next question is how? Used to be we passed this offering plate, right? We used to pass communion trays up and down the aisle and we'd follow that up with an offering tray. We decided that was too passive. We decided that worship is something you do, not watch. So we thought there was something significant about getting up out of your seats and going to a worship station. Not so passive now. We go to take the Lord's Supper. We go to give. It was risky. We figured that our offerings would go down and we stopped pressing the plate, but we thought it was important. So we did it anyway. And we set on each one of our worship stations these offering boxes and that generous bucket. And most people used to give cash or write checks. But I'll bet you if we took a poll right now, not many people have cash on them and very few of you have ever even written a check, right? So to be honest, these worship stations make it kind of hard for some of our church family to give. Not because you don't want to give, but because you deal with all your money stuff online. I mean, there are times when I can't even find my checkbook now. It's all online. We have staff here at the church that have never, ever written a check and they never carry cash. But giving is still part of worship. So how are you going to do that in a world that's changing? When we started preparing for online giving, we had a guy on our web team. He said, if you go to online giving, I'm going to leave this church. We went to online giving and he left the church. We didn't do it because we were money hungry. We did it because times change. And that's how new generations manage their money. World is changing. So if you're old-fashioned, you can still put check or cash in one of the offering boxes. Or if you prefer, you can use online banking, your computer to send a check to the church each week. That's what I do. Go to the Cap City app, Cap City website. You can give online there. Here's the deal. The priority of giving our first part back to God doesn't change. How we give has to morph as the world changes. So we, Jesus followers, give our first part back to God. We prioritize the church family. When? Well, two pieces. This first one is really big. If you are not giving your first part back to God right now, start now, not later. A whole lot of fo folks tell God, I'll start giving next month, next year, once I get that raise, once I pay off that bill, once I get that new job. Guys, giving God the first part back is something we Jesus followers do, not wait for. 
We make it a habit. Giving them the first part back is not something we do once a year at tax time. It's not something we do once or twice a year when bonuses come. We make it a habit to give our first part back to God whenever God graces us with money. The Bible says on the first day of each week, put aside a portion of the money you have earned. If you get paid every week, give each week. If you get paid once a month, give once a month. You got the idea. Here's the next piece, and it's probably the toughest. How much? When God tells me to give the first part back to him, what should that first part be? Now, if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably heard preachers talk about the tithe. Tithe means 10%. whole lot of Bible teachers still teach the tithe. I don't think the New Testament teaches the tithe as a standard for every person. Ours is the New Testament. Our covenant with God teaches this. You choose how much you give back based on how much God has prospered you. Listen to what the Bible says. They gave according to their means, even beyond their means, of their own free will. No law, no rule they had to follow. They chose the amount, a generous amount, based on what they could share. Crystal clear in these two verses. The Bible says you must make up your own mind as to how much you can give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. You work it out with God how much you're going to give. One more. We looked at this one just a minute ago. The Bible says, every Sunday, each of you must put aside some money in proportion to what he has earned. Those who have more ought to give more. Guys, I can't tell you how much you're supposed to give. Some preachers try to. I'm not sure we can or ought. I can't even give you a specific percentage, but I can tell you this. If you have the right heart, you're going to do fine with God. You work it out with Him. If your heart is loving, willing, cheerful, generous, you're going to do right. For some of you guys, I don't hope this isn't wrong. For some of you guys, 10% may be too much right now. For some of you guys, 10% may be too little. It might be good to set 10% as a benchmark and then adjust up or down based on how much God has blessed you. Now, I know this is scary for some of you guys, so I'm going to give you a couple ideas. And again, I hope these are God-honoring. For some of you guys, you want to do right by God. There's simply no margin in your budget. There's more month than money. You don't know how to get started. So how about this? If you are giving nothing back to God at all, just give something. Even it's the change in your pocket so he's not going to lightning bolt you. That's humor, by the way. Just give something. If right now you're giving God just a token, try giving back enough that it means something and do it regularly. Show him that you are willing to give him the first and best part back. If now you're giving comfortably and regularly, try stretching yourself. Try to be generous. Because when you get to the end of your life, guys, I suspect you may regret some of the money that you wasted on yourself. But you will never regret what you have been generous with. And here's what you're going to discover. If you accept the fact that God owns it all, if you accept the fact that God has been lavishly generous with you, and if you try to manage your money in a God-honoring way, you will have a better life. It'll work better for you. 
It'll be better for those around you. I don't know why it works that way, but it does. Maybe because when we put God first, we're more careful with the rest. Maybe because when we put God first, we find that money and stuff doesn't control us like it used to. Maybe because when we put God first, we make smarter decisions. Maybe because when we put God first, we discover that it is possible to be content. And maybe, and I don't want to count on this, but maybe God chooses to bless his kids when they put him first. But listen, guys, this isn't intended to be a formula for financial wealth. This is simply what it means to be spiritually healthy. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the way that God wants us to live. Can you imagine what it would be like if we children of God actually tried living it out God's way? And we are so confident that this stuff works that several years back we had what we called our double dog dare. Jesus said, give and you'll receive. Your gift will be returned to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, making room for more, running over, pouring into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I do not think that Jesus promises that if you give money, God's going to give you more money back. I think that God's gifts sometimes are way more precious than money. I think it means that when you give back, he's going to make your life better. And we are so convinced that it works this way that we made this commitment with our church family. If you're giving nothing now, start giving something. If you're giving just a little bit now, leftovers, make it a priority. If you're giving comfortably, give generously. And if you can track the amount that you give to the church, I don't know, online, check, some other trackable way. If you try stepping it up for six months and you don't think God's way is better, we'll give you your money back. We really will. We made that promise several years ago. We've made it two or three times since. We've never had a single person ask for their money back yet. It makes life better. We believe it works. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, teach those who are rich in the world, that's us, not to be proud, we are, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, it is. Our trust should be in God, who richly gives us everything that we need for our enjoyment. Tell us to use our money to do good, to be rich in good news, uh, works, and generous to those who are in need, always ready to share with others. And here's the outcome. I didn't show you this verse yet. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. True life here and true life after. Let's pray together. Father, it's all yours. And you are amazingly generous. We thank you. We call you Lord and yet we confess that oftentimes we're, we don't always live that way. Give us the wisdom and the courage to do life your way. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Guys, some of you guys have uh, been sitting here for a few weeks and you either want to make Jesus the Lord of your life and sometimes we haven't given you many opportunities in the middle of the service to do that or you may want to make Capital City your home. During this next song, if you want to talk to us about making Jesus the Lord of your life, there's an elder praying for you in that prayer room in the back. I'm going to sit right down here. Why don't you come up and let's talk. If you want to make Capital City your home, just come on down and let's talk about how that works.
okay? Let's stand, let's sing to our God.
seated for just a moment, guys. We come here on Sundays to worship God. We don't come here to watch a show of some sort. We believe that God is in this room. And we come here to give Him the honor and the praise that He deserves. We sing these songs to our God, right? We pray to our God. We study the Word of God, submissively, I hope. And we come to this table, these worship stations, every single Sunday. We do this to do two different things. Number one is we give our first part back to God. It's a reminder of who we are and what we stand for. And then we remind ourselves of why we're here. And Jesus said, you know, eat this bread and drink this cup to remember. Remember what I did for you. Remember what you mean for me, to me. So we're going to invite you in just a moment to these worship stations. Remember, this is an act of worship. This is where we acknowledge that He is our God. Take that little piece of bread. That's His body that was broken for you so you can be a child of God. You take that cup, which represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. That's why we're here. Let's worship our God. Let's bow our heads and pray and then come to the tables. Father, we are so grateful. So grateful for Jesus, for the sacrifice that he made so that we can be called children of God. And this is a time when we acknowledge that you are our Lord and we recommit ourselves to being children of God. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You're welcome.
us. It gives us what we need. When it comes down to it, Father, all we need is you. We believe that you are watching over us, that you care for us, that you take care of us. We want to thank you for your spirit that has come into our lives and teaches us what you want out of each of us. We love you very much.
little while. Like, you guys can go. We're so excited that God has done what he's done with each of us. So we want to give him everything we got, okay? Hope to see you again next week.